0: Sluts and
1: Scholars. Want to hear more? Follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slutscholars, or check out Slutsandscholars.com. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. Ah! I know, you always say that. I'm Nicoletta.
0: And I'm Simone. And this week we're joined by August McLaughlin, who is a health and sexuality writer and host and creator of Girl Boner trademarked, and Girl Boner Radio. Her work has been in Cosmo, Dame, HuffPo, Livestrong.com. Her first novel, In Her Shadow, was called An Engaging Story with an Inventive Structure and an Intriguing Focus on Body Image Issues. On Girl Boner Radio, which she does every week, she interviews kind of similarly to, like, what we do, uh, sex and relationship experts, celebrity entertainers, sex workers, entrepreneurs, survivors, and more. She melds personal passion, artistry, and activism. August uses her skills as a public speaker, and a journalist to engage women and people in the LGBTQIA community to embrace their bodies and selves, making way for our fuller, more authentic lives. And she has a book called Girl Boner, which is coming out in August, right? Yeah, August 7th. August and August. That's Congrats. My, yeah, as soon as I said August, I was like, fuck, wait, is it actually in August? Or am I just thinking that because <laughs> your name's August? But <laughs> August 7th is my brother's birthday. Shout out to you. Um, hi, awesome. thank you. Thanks for
1: joining us. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So without totally giving it away, tell us a little bit about what Girl Boner is about. We thankfully got a copy, so we are super lucky that we got to read it a little bit earlier. The Perks of Being a Podcaster. Yes, exactly. But um, for people (laughs) out there who can get excited about it, what is it about?
2: It's a guide for your sexual empowerment journey. It's full of personal stories and facts, myth-busting, journaling exercises, all with a big kick of humor.
0: Yeah, and one of the really interesting things that I think, which you talked, John, in the book, but I want to talk to you now because um, something that I personally found, I'm not alienating, but that had you know had me ask a question was the, the subtitle to it is A Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment. And obviously you talk about this, this notion of good girl and what it means and talk about why you use that, but I would love to talk about that. Why are you still choosing to say A Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So- I use the term "good girl" not as a judgment. I think we're all good people for sure. Um, it's more about kind of how we our ethic our ethical um, stance in the world, having strong values. Um, for me, growing up in Minnesota, in you know, really loving family, but like I saw my first beer when I was I moved to New York at eighteen. A beer. Um, I was just kind of a first beer. <laughs> my first beer. Yeah. Yeah, I'd never seen. There's the, no like, beer in Minnesota. <laughs> it was a sheltered, totally sheltered life. <laughs>
1: it
2: yeah, me exactly, exactly. Uh, There's tons of beer in Minnesota, but I just grew up really. Yeah, I guess you could say sheltered. Like I have a really awesome family, and they're very accepting, and um, and all of that. But but there was this sense of um, you know, kind of being a goody-goody, which has such a negative connotation to it. Yeah. Um, you know, even though in my own family, I felt like more of a a, a rebel and kind of a black sheep. But as soon as I was out in the real world, I realized that that was like, by comparison to my New York roommates, I was, I seemed like very like strict Mormon or something. Like what? Do you have any examples? So when I got there, (laughs) I thought I would walk into my apartment and there would be these really sophisticated models who were, you know, holding champagne flutes and would be so kind of impressed that this Minnesotan person came in and I came in they oh, right, like, you moved to New York over yeah 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 from Minnesota to New York after high school and um I remember they there were people drinking beer and there were like um, cigarette butts around and nobody was really looking around at me and it was just a really I felt like Anne Hathaway's character in *Devil Wears Prada*.
0: Did you see that? Yes,
1: yes, it's
2: been a long time, but yes, yeah, like nerdy library girl. Like that's kind of for me how I how I felt in the in the big world picture. And so what I found was once I realized that I lacked sexual empowerment uh, and hadn't really embraced my sexuality, it dawned on me that there was all this sexual kind of content for people who were. Um, More into like kink and stuff like that, which is awesome, and I love that that is there, and it's in my book too. But it's like either people who are really overt and kind of like into this kind of subculture, Mm -hmm. like they're already open and clinical stuff, yeah. But I didn't see something that was like you could be Christian and also be super like loving girl boners and be sexual and and have vibrators. You know, like there was no kind of middle ground, and I wanted to kind of Hmm. normalize that and. So and it's funny because it was confirmed right right away when I would tell people that I was doing girl boner because it started as a, a blog series, then the podcast, and then the book. So often people would say, "But you seem so nice." When I told them the uh, name, like you, you and, couldn't be talking
1: about sex and be nice
2: at the yeah. same time.
1: That's yeah, up. yeah, and
2: especially use a word like boner. It's like it, it's so funny. It's like you, it's that whole prude slut dichotomy thing that we have. The the idea is that we have to either be really pure, quote, quote, unquote, or or sexual.
1: And when did you first know that you weren't sexually empowered? Like you said, you figured out and then wanted to explore this. Like, did you think you knew that? Or like when you got to New York and maybe started realizing some other things you'd missed out on, then you figured out you weren't empowered in your sexuality? It was a really interesting process. I
2: had already been having sex. I had, you know, a serious boyfriend and considered myself, like, into sex. Like, I enjoyed it. It was pleasurable for me and all that. Um, But it dawned on me in a really surprising way. I had been diagnosed with anorexia. This is when I was modeling in Paris. And it was really, really severe. Uh, And I went back to Minnesota for treatment. And I was sitting in this college classroom because I had nothing else to do. And I didn't want to just, you know, just do treatment. And that was my whole life. So you were taking classes to
0: complement the treatment.
2: Yeah, just to kind of do something. Uh-huh. I was I was living in this small town in Minnesota, and I wanted to think about something besides food and my body and all this crap I was dealing with. So yeah, I sense. took this women's psychology class, and the professor stood up one day and said, today we're going to talk about sex. And that simple question completely changed the trajectory of my life because it dawned on me that I had never talked about sex. I had, had it not the same thing. Like I just hadn't had those conversations. I would try sometimes, like I would ask questions and was just kind of shut down. So I realized that that was probably a problem. And then as I started to take steps to go, oh my gosh, like why, like, why did I ever think about this? And I went on this whole personal journey of of trying to figure that out and realized there was a lot of repression there um, and got really aggravated about it, but then super passionate about changing that for people.
1: I mean, it sounds like you might have talked about this in your first book, and we definitely want to talk about your new book, but I'm really interested about the intersection of eating disorder and sexuality. Oh, yeah. Because I think a lot of people don't talk about that. I don't know if you... There's a great chapter in in Girl Boner about it. If you can explain explain some of the connections between, yeah, eating disorder and sexuality. It is such an important conversation, and I think it's super
2: lacking. I agree. It's so fascinating because in all of the treatments that I was in, not a single person ever asked me anything about my sexuality huh. and yet if you look at kind of you know some of the some of the data we do have it's not really because sex is not considered much of a quality of life issue unfortunately <laughs> people will ask you when you're in treatment um, about your usually it's too focused on just the eating and the weight which is I think pretty backward because you're trying to get away from that mm. um, but even the better programs that are more holistic it's like well how do you feel how is your energy how are you sleeping nobody says you know how do you identify sexually are you, do you have sexual pleasure in your life how do you feel about your sexual essence and i think that that's really traumatic to be you know i think that's a that's a big word but actually to me it's a crisis to to feel like we cut off from our our bodies and i think that anybody who grew up with sexual shame. And often, unless something particular happened to you that was like an assault or something, which is sadly far too common, I think a lot of the shame can be, you don't even realize you have it. Because it wasn't one mm. specific thing. It was like all these micro traumas along the way where people just said, no, don't do that. And I actually remember being told, like, never touch that. Like, never put your hands down there. Like and so your vulva. I, yeah, like never touch your vulva when when I would be, like in the bath when I was a kid or something. Mm. And
0: that sends a big message. That stuff adds think, up. Too, to we've, we've talked about that it a does, lot. Yeah. and You know, the consensus for us at Slesson Scholars, and I think you too, it's what you mentioned in your book, is if you do see a child masturbating, don't tell them not to do it. Just remind them that it's a private thing as opposed to, to saying don't ever do that. Be like, that's fine to do, but that's something that you do when you're on your own. Exactly. Yes. And I think
2: so many. Parents have the best intentions, and they did not learn anything either. So it's, yeah. it's challenging, and we just don't have much sex education that's comprehensive.
0: But let's go back to the eating disorders and, and sexuality, if you don't mind, because um, you actually spend quite a bit of time in the book talking about how what you're eating affects your sex drive and having an eating disorder and how that can affect your sexuality and all of these things. And I'd like to dive deeper into some of those issues. Um, and so I'm curious— once you were you know getting treatment and then started thinking about how no one you didn't talk about sex how then did your knowledge, lack of knowledge of sex but also self knowledge of of your anorexia kind of coexist while you were on this learning path
2: anorexia is such a debilitating illness and it really stripped me of of my sexuality in many ways, you know. From a physical standpoint, you just don't when you're st- in starvation mode all the time. You're like in you survival don't have mode. Desire, right? Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Your body is fighting to survive, and so it was so ironic that when I was modeling and you know trying to be sexy, arguably not- selling sex. Yeah, no. exactly. That I that I did not have any of that desire. Um, so. It affects your libido hugely and it affects people very differently too. So when I developed binge eating disorders, that was different. I I was then, my bo- my physical body could actually, I had circulation, I had better circulation, I had more energy, all that kind of stuff. I just had a lot of uh, emotional shame, which stood in the way. Mm. And some people with bulimia might act out sexually or, or um, sometimes it becomes almost another compulsion. Oh, yeah. You know, I've heard of... S- So many different things, yeah. But it's they're so connected, and I just don't think that we can separate the way that we feel about our body and our sexuality.
0: I think it's so great that you're being so candid about this kind of conversation. I've never heard it before, so thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And going back to something you said um, in your current book, I don't want to give all the things away, but um, you're talking a lot about modeling, and I don't know if you developed some of the eating disorder stuff because of modeling or it happened before that, Um, But modeling obviously sells sex and your appeal and what you look like as a commodity, um, as a currency. And that's something you talk a bit about in the book. Um, And I would love to talk about that because I think that at least as a woman, I've seen us not feel comfortable with the way that sex is used against us as a commodity. Like you say in your book, you know, just because someone takes you out to dinner doesn't mean you have to fuck them. And at the same time, sometimes we do use our sexuality and our looks as a as a currency? Yes, very much so. Which sounds I think
2: really archaic because it's the whole, you know, if if he again if he takes me out to dinner, then I owe him sex. And not only is that really heteronormative, but it sets up game playing and I think that because those kinds of ideas were so pronounced not too long ago, we don't always realize that they're still lingering around. Like I hear so many mixed conversations around who pays for dinner, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, And it's luckily because of all the conversations around consent, I think that's, that's hopefully going to change more, but I, I do see that a lot. And I think, I think it's something that we have to really check in with ourselves and practice that awareness because if we don't, if we don't ask ourselves how we feel about these things and really challenge our own beliefs and, and look at them, then the world kind of fills in the blanks, and I think that's where it gets dangerous.
1: Well, in hearing it, I feel, I feel mixed about it because on one hand, of course, I don't think that we owe men or anyone anything, um, but at the same time, I've definitely used my looks and my sexuality to get things, like whether it was cutting the line at a bar or trying to like lean over the bar to get my drink faster or whatever it was. Like, I definitely O-lean feel like— Only in bars? Do you only do this in O-lean bars? bars. Restaurants, wherever I am. <laughs> it's to um, acquire something for consumption. Yeah, so I feel like it's a bit hypocritical. Um, at least for me, feeling like I can hold space for both of those. I don't know how you feel about that or you, Simone. Huh.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. I, For me, I would use it if it would save my life or keep me safe. Um I think that that is—to me, that's that's almost more using— it's using our sexuality, but it's also because of these these constructs of gender that we have, hmm. you know? Um, I, I feel like, you know, and it goes both ways. There are ways to kind of use your— you know, I've met non-binary people who will pr- try to present more as male when they're in certain scenarios and try to present more as female in other scenarios because it's to their advantage, you know? Hmm. Um, and I don't think that there's— There's any—I think that's actually—there's nothing wrong with that. I just think it's really fascinating because it brings up all the stuff around gender expectation.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I feel like—I don't think it's hypocritical, like you said, Nicoletta. I think it's more um, systems exist. Uh, The bad way that the system affects me as a woman is that I am supposed to hold on to my sex unless I'm getting something out of it. Or if I give it away too soon, then there's a problem and i um personally kind of enjoy fucking with systems and if i can use the sex as currency if that's if 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 to we your live, advantage. yeah if we live in a sex capitalistic society <laughs> yeah. then i can and i can get i can use my capital for some fancy ass tasting menu dinner date <laughs> Then, like, why the fuck not? <laughs> well, and of course, this is
1: very <laughs> different for our listeners who are sex workers who are obviously, obviously. using it as currency for their career and their livelihood. Um, but you know, just right. the, the non-sex worker person is what we're talking about here.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like when when it's our choice that we want it to be a currency, I think that makes a difference too. Exactly. Like when we have autonomy over it. Like it's not it's not that someone else is expecting us to pay out. <laughs> you know, right? I think exactly. That's it's it's different, less, Yeah.
0: It's less of. Um, it's less of it being a problem of that sex can be used as currency, but it's when you are not choosing if it is currency or not. If someone. Yeah, I that, think That's, so. I think, what it comes down to is, is what we're getting at.
1: Yeah, and in that, you were talking about yeah. game playing too. And um, I think that's something, I don't know if we've really talked about that, like playing the game in oh, dating. Yeah, I don't do that, um, so I don't know. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so you, you say you don't play the game. <laughs> like, what do you do, August? What do you define as playing the game? Like, withholding sex to get somebody?
2: There are so many creepy dating strategies out there. It It's so, it creeps me out. Honestly, I'm a little bit extreme on the, like I, my strategy is anti-strategy. I just don't like the whole kind of manipulating somebody into doing something. Now, there are a ton of people who even like being really flirty, some people love that. And that's how they, they move about in the world. And that's awesome. Uh, for me, I'm not. have never been attracted to people who are like super flirty because it feels like like I might be attracted to them at, on like a friend level, or we, we might hang around or have a casual relationship. But I wouldn't want to have a partner that way. Uh, for me, I really, I, I just really don't like it when it's so strategic. It's like someone's always trying to get something to you it, from you instead of like right. H-
0: how about we get to know each other? <laughs> like it just feels yeah. inauthentic. What yeah. do you mean by creepy strategies?
2: Like, um, oh my gosh, there's that. What is that book called? I always block oh, the, the game.
1: Artist? <laughs> the game.
2: That's one of them, I think. I just lost yeah, the game. where they will come up like a guy is supposed to approach a woman and
1: basically cut her down.
2: Oh, like, yeah.
1: What's it called? Negging? Is that what it is? I think it's negging when you like phrase your compliment as like an insult. So it's something like, yes. like oh, you it's look incredible, so How a plain
0: girl can wear such an, like a, a shocking outfit? Or yeah, or like, like you look
1: so graceful. <laughs> you know, you would look so much better if you lost like a few pounds. <laughs> oh, exactly. My people fucking exactly. Do that? exactly. They used to. I feel and like the pickup, fuck people that do that. That's what throws me. I feel like the pickup strategies have hopefully dwindled a little bit, but that definitely like was a thing. It's it sucks though because a lot of the the research does support game playing in terms of withholding sex. Uh You know, like, it's all about that delayed gratification. Like, we see there's so much more of a a serotonin and a dopamine up spike when you make somebody wait longer as opposed to if you give it to them sooner. But I even know for me personally, like, I'm someone who's, like, fucked a lot of people right
0: away. And so I've (laughs) also— But also when I like somebody, I will say, like, I like you. I don't want to fuck you right now. And why is that, though? Maybe, uh, like, is it a game? It's not that it's a game. It's more that it's it, it, like making myself wait. Like, is what are you good hoping you'll gain in the waiting? It's not that I gain from the waiting. It's just that when it finally happens, like, it's really nice.
1: I mean, I guess it's different to wait because yeah. you want to wait and you're looking for a different kind of pleasure and a different level of comfort. It's, like, it's
0: almost like self-denial in Versus doing it in, it in a like sense. a, like,
1: like August said, like in a, in a creepy, manipulative way.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah. not like, well, I'm, I'm not going to have sex with you because I want you to like me. It's, I don't want to have sex with you for me. Mm, not for you.
2: Yeah. I think there are so many ways to build in anticipation and even like orgasm control, all the different ways to... Or maybe you can't see somebody for a while because you're on vacation or on a business trip or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, there's really healthy ways to have that tension that I think don't involve, like you said, the manipulation.
1: That's a good point. And for people out there listening who don't know, um, can you speak to what orgasm control is? Woo! whoo, going down a different path? Well, she said it, and I was like, I want to hear about it and talk about it briefly. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
2: yeah. It's it's so aggravating and so exciting at the same time. Um, So it's basically, and you can do this with yourself while you're masturbating, or you can do it with a partner, Mm -hmm. ideally with permission, so that you're not just like halting them, but you get really close to orgasm, and then you stop, and then you get really close to orgasm, and then you stop, and it just builds the arousal, much more gradually and it gets so intense. It's like, you feel like you're going to burst and you cannot handle it. It's, I feel it's like pretty crazy. I feel yeah, like edging,
1: so, edging.
0: I, but I feel like sometimes it also happens unintentionally, you know, like with a partner and you're like so, so, so close to coming and then, and then they, they change it up. And then they change it up a little bit and you're like, fuck! And then, <laughs> and, and, and then they like That's get so, 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 close again and you're like, fuck! And then when it finally happens, you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That is so true. Yeah. The phone rings or something. <laughs> oh my gosh. But that's so, that's like so me. Cause I can like feel like when I'm coming like for a while and I'm like,
1: I'm so close. I'm so close. And I'll probably say I'm so close for like five minutes. Or sometimes I'm like sad. Cause I don't want it. Like if I'm masturbating, I don't want it to be over. And so I'm like, wait, wait, I'll wait a little. Wait, like, what, what?
0: Masturbation <laughs> only has to be over when you decide I'm kind it's of over. Like, oh, I'm kind
1: of a, I know I'm kind of a one and done person though. Oh, right. I always so, forget about that. I always forget that you are a one and doneer. Yeah. And so, or like my what is it? My refractory period is longer. <laughs> Does that apply to all genders? Anyway, um, so it's more like oh, you know, I'm not ready to be done. So then I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll you know, edge it or whatever. Sometimes
0: I'll be like done. I'll be like, I need to stop. I can't handle anymore. And then I'll be
1: like, oh, just want <laughs> and then I'll go and it's like almost painful and I'm like but it was so easy. Well, so we're talking about pleasure and it sounds like the three of us love pleasure. But, but I'm but, curious about what your mission
0: statement is or not your mission statement, but what's your mission with all of the work you're doing with Girl Boner as, with the book especially, but just in general like highlighting these, these these conversations and having them.
2: It's really about embracing our sexuality so that we can have fuller, more authentic lives. And I often say that Girl Boner is like all about sex and not at all about sex. I just think it's a piece of the empowerment puzzle that is so lacking still. Or we get these mixed messages like sexual empowerment is used to sell all kinds of weird things. You know, it's like it's, it's become a marketing strategy. It gets really confusing. So I want people to be able to go on a journey and have support along the way to discover their own authentic selves. Because I really believe that when we embrace our sexuality and we commit to that journey, Everything opens up. Like we get so much benefit in all these other life areas that seem completely unrelated. Like, what have you not noticed in in your life that's changed on that path? The first thing was the eating disorder because I didn't like I didn't connect the two immediately. So when I had that big aha epiphany and I was like, oh my gosh, it it put my brain into this other space where not only my orgasms were stronger, I desired sex more. I felt um, my voice became louder, like not, Mm -hmm. I don't know, during sex or not, but in general. um, I started, I was more creative. It was just, it, it opened up all kinds of things for me. I had no idea that it was so kind of ingrained in all these different areas of my life. And the eating disorder improvements were happening like on the side. I didn't even notice until I was like, oh my gosh, I like, I didn't even think about you know, I didn't stress at all over breakfast this morning or (laughs) I I forgot to eat a snack and it didn't even occur to me. Like where normally everything would have been on a clock for me, like I was obsessed. So yeah, there was a lot of that's amazing.
0: Congratulations.
2: So instead of
1: avoiding sex in eating disorder clinics, using not using it in a negative way, but using it as a way to well, just get in your body and embody and empower yourself. Yeah, in a healing way. Yeah, just like acknowledging that it's
0: very much a part of like what it means to be heal, in your body. yeah, and be treated. Absolutely. I, I would. Yeah. Love to, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just gonna say that um, one of the biggest epiphanies within that was, and this didn't come right away, but I I realized that I had never really masturbated, and so that was one of the big turning points for me.
0: At what point? And what age? I.
2: I actually didn't really masturbate till I was thirty, which was when I started. Like shortly before I launched Girl Boner and all that stuff. Like a couple years before, um, it's, you describe I, this as the orgasm that yeah. changed your life. Yes, it totally did. It totally did. I mean, I was very sexually active. Sometimes it's funny because when I when I've shared that with a guy, like on a show where a guy's interviewing me, he assumes that means I've never had an orgasm before. Um, but not when I'm talking to women.
0: <laughs> so it's just interesting. Well, um, so you were but, very sexually yeah. active prior to this, like, master- prior to masturbating for the first time. And you did have orgasms. Oh, yeah, yeah. And did but your orgasms come from clitoral stimulation myself? that you were doing to yourself? I'm, no, it was from intercourse. Which oh, I know so you're one like, of the luckies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see. Well, the clitoris August. is very much involved. <laughs> I but I see no but that's but that makes a lot of sense. Like I think that yeah, yes, yeah. you could be having a pretty healthy sexual life if you're one of the eighteen percent of women who can come from intercourse alone. alone
2: Yeah, yeah. And certainly for me, you know, the clitoris is so involved in, in inter in vaginal in P and V sex too, right. typically. So I, th- I think it's all of it, but I'm much more of an internal person. Yeah. Oh, my So that is probably— gosh. Oh, well, it's lovely yeah. to meet you. It's so nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> you um, know, which is one of the reasons that I'm so into, like, myth-busting and, and making sure that people know that it's not like women are one way, men are one way, and all that stuff, because I have felt like an exception to so many things.
0: And I take back what I said about one of the luckies. You're not one of the luckies. You're just one of the others, of what that I sounds am, bad too. no, just the mean in relation to me, no, because I, I will just fully call myself out on I ascribed. Like we are very much about debunking the hierarchy of orgasms, and that like a vaginal orgasm, but that's not to take somehow, away from
1: the people who do orgasm from totally penetration. I'm not.
0: I'm not. Take away from those. Oh, no, I'm just reiterating. But, I'm just saying, but in me saying that you're one of the luckies, like we're all lucky because we could all have orgasms, but I just want to point out I'm calling myself out into my own, as someone who does this work and is actively trying to, like, get rid of the penetration myth,
1: um, I, I fucking fall for it. And I'm sorry, listeners. When you're talking about the empowerment and things that you have found from sexual exploration— do you think that's why people are so afraid of female pleasure and female sexual empowerment?
2: I think that's definitely a part of it. I think we live in a culture where we have this bizarre belief that that we have to diminish ourselves. Like somehow, if we experience pleasure, we are bad people, and it is just—it's so, that whole puritanical thing um, that we have to somehow be in pain and starving ourselves. And and to me. I see just such a correlation between the the pressure to be a sh- certain kind of shape and size, you know, to starve ourselves, to restrict ourselves, to not be too loud, to not take up too much space, to not be too sexual. I mm-hmm. think so much of it is this fear of of living fully, as though something horrible will happen. Um, and I think that's really sad.
1: I wonder what people are so afraid of, though. Women. But what, what are they afraid of? If
0: women knew how fucking powerful we were, mm-hmm. like, patriarchy wouldn't exist. And actually, I kind of want to talk about the the word empowerment. I think it's really interesting, this word, and I never really thought about it um, until my friend who's a birth worker. She's a doula and very into free birth, and she mentioned this. Like, empowering, to empower someone means to give someone power.
1: And I kind of You're talking more to find their power. Yeah,
0: and I kind of reject that notion. Um and I don't think any of us mean it in that context when we're talking when you're talking about, you know, the girl's guide to sexual empowerment. I don't think you mean literally empowerment like according to the Oxford English Dictionary I think you mean finding the power that's already inside of you because that power is already there in all of us preach there's just Simone been, there's yes. just been social fucking conditioning that's been going on and the patriarchy shoved down our throats which sometimes we like that's, that's made us not claim our power but because there are systems in place that are designed to not allow us to claim that power because if we did like it would be fucking amazing and also terrifying for men not to be all about the binary but like it's really fucking true and that is not only true for our sexual power like if we like if we felt totally comfortable like fucking like then men wouldn't have this control over us and they wouldn't be able to shame us and they wouldn't be able to, to, to blackmail us or dominate us or whatever. And I mean this all in, like, the negative, like, social way, not, like, if these are kinks of yours. Um, and then, but that also translates to, like, our ability to birth. Like, we're taught that it's, like, this horrible, difficult, super painful thing when, like, our bodies are fucking designed to do this shit. You know, this is an episode for another time. But these are thoughts that I have, August, <laughs> about the word empower. <laughs> yeah, no, I— <laughs> No, I, you were I saying
2: great it, things. Yeah, you. you were, yeah. No, I define it the same way. Like, I don't have to answer the question because that's exactly— <laughs> that's, that's what I—and that's what I, I, how I define it in the book, too, is that it is innate. We already have it. And we may feel like we need permission, and we may even feel like some, somebody's giving us permission. Like if somebody reads my book and they feel like the book is helping them, it's actually it's them. They are the ones doing the work. It's not it's not something you can do for somebody else. It's it's inside of us, totally.
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of empowerment, you don't only really talk about like being sexually empowered. You talk about being empowered to make decisions. One of the really interesting chapters in your book, because I think. I think you do a really great job of doing an overview of like how like we are conditioned to be a woman um, either by just like what our idea of woman is or by just society telling us that we are woman and therefore must do certain things. And so you talk about birth control and orientation, but you also talk about like beauty and and what it is. And like the $200,000 in a lifetime that a woman will spend on beauty products and things like that. And what I found really interesting and helpful is this, um, the the idea of making an empowered beauty decision. And I would love to talk with you, especially as someone who worked in modeling and who has battled an eating disorder, uh, to talk about being sexually empowered in the space of beauty. It is such a
2: huge topic and so complicated And I absolutely, what you said is absolutely right. We are conditioned to define beauty in very particular ways. And in some cases, it almost feels like brainwashing. You know, one of the big examples I share in the book is high heels. I used to wear heels, you know, to events and I would wear like these heeled, kind of clunky boots when I go into the studios, like my kind of power suit. And then one day I was online and this headline came up about the Cannes Film Festival. They turned women away for showing up in flats.
1: Yeah. 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 This was in 2015. And I do not read enough pop culture. (laughs) This was not pop culture. This was like in
0: the times. Well,
1: I'm going to be angry now because I did not know this then. (laughs) <laughs> well, that was exactly my reaction. Just I was livid. I mean, I was livid. I don't even fucking but wear then. heels. Heels are terrible for my feet and it stops me See, from living yeah. my life and then I have to come home early. That's I can't the point get of street, them. I can't get street dog hot dogs because my feet hurt. <laughs> I will hold your heels right? for
2: you. <laughs> so we can Well, you're dogs. way way ahead of me because when are- I heard that Uh-huh. When I heard that headline, I thought those women were brave. Like to show up in flats to something to me, felt like that would be brave, which wow. really made me angry <laughs> at mm. myself and the world. And so I challenged myself to a year without high heels and I haven't gone back to them. Are but you tall?
0: That whole You're model You're tall, I'm, right? I'm fairly tall.
2: I'm 5'8", I'm so I'm not, I'm, I don't know. I guess that's, it's but I not guess super it doesn't tall matter. for
1: a model. I don't really wear heels either anymore. How were you yeah, able to, to go from, how are you able to go to not wearing them? I just journey from heels to up, flats. gave them up cold turkey and it was, which
2: makes it sound like an addiction. It wasn't an addiction or anything. Um, but I gave them up right away. Like I literally, I had, I wanted to take a picture for my first blog post. It was like my, my hashtag heel free um, year. Heel free was a hashtag. And so I wanted to take a picture of like one foot in a he- high heel and one in a flat, but I wouldn't stand on the heel. Like I was so committed to like, I, I am love not that. going to wear high heel. I was just really surprised by how,
0: how much that affected me because it was actually really challenging at first for a while. I well, felt Well, yeah, I think really if, it's, if, it's, your, if it's what you're used to, it's probably really challenging. And you do a great uh, abridged history of the high heel in your book where I learned so much. I learned about how—well, I knew that men and women both used to wear heels and then men issued—I never remember if the word means to embrace or to— Push away. Oh well, um, men. I don't know half of heels. the words you use sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where men stop wearing heels because they need to go about their business um, and do and live their life, which is exactly what you were talking about. How heels prevent you from doing that, and that is literally. What they're designed to do. You can wear heels mm-hmm. if you are somebody who doesn't have to do anything. That's that's the whole <laughs> Exactly. But, and and not in not if you are a heel wearer, you're not doing anything, but I mean historically women kept wearing mm-hmm. heels when men stopped wearing heels because women technically, and I'm using air quotes
1: listeners didn't have anything better to do. And that being said, there are so many amazing people out there who have perfected their heel wearing while doing active stuff and amazing pole dances and drag like shows and everything. And I'm just totally. like, respect. So, I mean, how do I wonder how we tell the difference, like with your beauty empowerment checklist of, are we doing things because they're expected of us or are we doing them because we like it? Because I think it's different – if you're wearing heels because you're like, oh, I'm supposed to wear these, it looks ladylike, versus if you're like, I feel fucking hot in heels and they make me feel sexy and I want to wear them. Like, what is making you feel sexy in your heels? Do you feel
0: sexy in your heels because you've been conditioned your whole life? And even if that is the case, is that okay?
2: Well, I think think that then it's your informed decision. I think Mm -hmm. the key is, like, we want to look into these these areas within ourselves so that we can make informed decisions because we all have a right to do whatever we want to. We should be able to wear what we want to. If you want to wear high heels that's great. I people come up to me all the time and like apologize to me for their shoes and I'm like you can wear anything.
0: Oh, like sorry um, I'm wearing heels.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm like a high heel confessional. People people email me all the time saying you know telling me about their high heel injuries. People fall down, they trip, they break their wrist and they are so embarrassed because they were wearing high heels. It happens. Um, but <sighs> really, it doesn't like if you love wearing them, that's great. And I don't think it's bad if you love wearing them. Look inward, realize that oh, this is from societal pressure and then deciding, you know what? I'm still going to wear them because I think what will change is you will approach them differently. You won't wear them probably as often or you'll be more careful or you will just be more mindful when you're wearing them or vary your shoes more. Like there are ways to be to practice self-care and to prevent all the kind of pain parts around it. Do platforms I think, I think it's heels, the, August? <laughs> you know, there, well, platform heels are the most dangerous if it's both. You know, if it's like a high heel
1: on a platform.
0: No, just like a chunky
1: platform, yeah. like a 90s platform.
0: Like a creeper? You know, what's a creeper? Creepers are like oh. the uh,
1: the more goth, punk-looking shoes that are like platformed all around. Oh those boots look so dumb.
0: Oh, I know what you're talking about. I love them. Yeah. I mean <laughs> No, I mean like cool, they're definitely not as sandals dangerous. that are just like the same height but higher. I don't know. I'm just saying. Gotcha. I'm just trying to find because yeah. I like sometimes chunky sandals.
1: Yeah, but that's fine. Are you making an informed decision yeah, about totally wearing fine. your chunky sandals?
0: I just am <laughs> asking August if she's okay with it. <laughs> August is Simone allowed to wear I, chunky sandals? Do I have food? you can wear whatever you want well, for, for sure. a fashion do well, or a fashion okay. Don't? No, let's think about a beauty thing that we do because I want to go through. So August, can we go through your empowered decision checklist because I think it's really good. Sure, yeah,
1: okay. let's do it. So, um, should we talk about me wearing chunky sandals or something more interesting? I don't want to tell you that chunky sandals aren't interesting, but maybe something more global? <laughs> more global. <laughs> um, well, I haven't I haven't done a lot of beauty stuff. Like, I'm a fucking weirdo. Like, I
0: get really anxious when it comes to modifying my body. So, I lightened my teeth a half shade one time and cried because it felt so dishonest. So, I don't know if I'm the appropriate <gasps> person. What about body hair? <laughs> oh, Okay. Okay. Body hair. That's a
2: good one. That's a really good one.
1: Yeah. Are we talking about like leg hair? Are we talking about pubic hair? Because they're different. Mm, What do you think, August? Leg hair, pubic hair?
2: Let's do leg hair because I think that's, that feels more challenging in a way. Oh, okay. As someone who had,
0: did not remove leg hair for two years, I definitely think my leg hair was the most challenging part. Not, pubic hair was easier. Pit hair is like fucking cute as fuck. Okay, so if you're listening,
1: go through this checklist with us about leg hair. Leg
0: hair. August, do you remove your leg hair? I do, yeah. You do. Nicoletta, do you? When I feel like it. <laughs> Would you go very hairy-legged? Like, but how— what's the Look longest? at them right
1: now. You have stubble. Yeah.
0: If it doesn't float in the wind, it doesn't count as leg hair.
1: <laughs> okay, it's not floating in the wind yet. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> um, so, August, does removing your leg hair make you feel like yourself, not less like yourself?
2: It does, yeah, yeah. I, I feel more authentic. It's For me, it's more about the feel mm. than the appearance because my hair is really light. Um, Got it. So technically I could probably get away, but like I, for some reason I'm just so used to my skin feeling smooth.
1: So it feels like yourself because you like the smooth feeling. But let's think about why yeah. the smooth feeling feels like yourself. Right. That is societal for sure. That's something
2: I have Absorbed, you know. We like furry. We
1: like furry coats, maybe vegan furry coats, whatever. We like furry animals potentially, (laughs) but like, why don't we like furry legs?
0: Right. It's weird. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. I um like I said, I removed my leg hair for the first time in two years a couple weeks ago, and it was actually kind of traumatic. But um, the feel of it is fucking nice, like the feel of bare Mm -hmm. skin. And I'm like, why? I, I still don't know why it's so nice. I don't know why. But you know what? The, what's
2: interesting about body hair is we used to need it. Like right. we used to need it as a as a species to be warm, which is interesting because we still have body hair but not nearly as much as as people used to. As humans used to, right. we still have more pubic hair. I feel like it's supposed to be a little protective, you know. Um, there's yeah. some there's some reason we have more there potentially. But um so I don't I don't think that it serves a purpose, but I also don't think that we need, you know, there's not like we don't need to leg shave hair. or That's to wax or to whatever.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. Okay. You are, another reason the that— The second checklist item. You aren't, you aren't considering it, so this is if you're thinking of removing body hair, you aren't considering it solely to please a particular person besides yourself. Ooh. That's tricky, right? Because as someone, probably Nicoletta, if you hardly remove your leg hair, you probably only do it then for other people, maybe?
1: Um... Not yeah. in an
0: aggressive way. Yeah,
1: I think so. Um, I do it because I'm like, oh, I want to show that I'm maybe putting effort into this and I know that maybe my partner prefers mm. less. And like, yeah, I agree it's nice when it's soft, but I'm also like, eh, I don't really care. But I am aware of like, if I'm with a partner, that they might not be preferring it.
0: Huh. The you next don't, one. You don't expect it to magically make your problems disappear or cure something in need of treatment, such as depression. I could see how that would be more applicable no. for, like, a more permanent body modification. Like, maybe perhaps a breast augmentation or… Uh, yeah. lift, Yeah. Or even, like, dyeing your hair if you're going gray. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that That's is a That's a good tough one because I'm starting to find grays and I'm, like, trying to think about what I'm going to do because so much of my energy is, like, youthful exuberance that I'm, like, very nervous that my personality won't work once I look older.
2: See, I thought about that too. And again, that's that's societal, right? And it's like, you know, I think your exuberance will show no matter what, but we always see it in other people easier <laughs> when it's ours. Like I'm like, I, I think white hair is gorgeous on people. And so I'm kind of like, well, if my hair goes white, then I'll love it.
1: But what then probably the my hair phase? will turn
2: some other gray
1: and gray rate. and white hair is like a fad now. Like people, right, but make I'm talking their about, like the hair gray. as you're yeah. graying. The as you're the graying. Pepper. Yeah. Like, I have, like, a couple yeah, I don't know, grays. But isn't that a societal it's, assumption that old people can't be exuberant? Yeah, and that's another thing that, like, yeah. maybe it isn't. There's, yeah, but I
0: feel like I see older people acting like I do. I'm like, you're old. You can't act like that, which is ageist and bad. Moving on to the next thing on the checklist. It doesn't feel like a fix for a deep self-esteem or body image issue. Okay. No, not shaving
2: doesn't for me. Like, it doesn't feel that important. I would just feel like there would be a— there'd be a little awkwardness if I just let it grow out and I, I think it would feel scratchy and I would kind of miss like I like putting lotion on my skin as part it of puts um, the lotion on being connected the to my body
1: yeah what's that oh I was just quoting silence yeah. of the lambs don't mind me it's not appropriate <laughs>
2: oh I no, I love that
1: movie um
2: but yeah I I
1: but to me it
2: wouldn't I could do it yeah. I just don't want to yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: it sounds like you're making an empowered yeah. beauty decision with your legs I would say <laughs> thank you I think yeah. you two are as well <laughs> well I did not, you didn't actually share but I'm going <laughs> to I've talked about my body here so much on this podcast so I don't now we will t- <laughs> be able
1: to after reading that Um. so we're kind of
0: running out of time but we want to just reemphasize how useful and important we think Girl Boner the book is I think it really is I know on this podcast we talk a lot of people who are like experts in the, in the space of kink or, or something else but And that can feel challenging if you're just, like, someone who wants to figure out how they feel about sex, which is, I think, what we're trying to do here. So we highly recommend you getting Girl Boner. And August has informed us that if you do, you could—it's available for pre-order now, so hop on it. And if you do pre-order it and send us a screen grab or her a screen grab, uh, she'll send you some Girl Boner swag. Is it, like, a strap-on? You know, I have not
2: made a Girl Boner strap-on yet. Maybe you have just inspired it, (laughs) but— That could be just be a make great sure when, when people
1: <laughs> Yes, tell people how to do it and and find you and pre-order.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you can go to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com and just search for Girl Boner. It's Girl Boner The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment, but it's the only Girl Boner book around, so it's easy. It pops That's right you up. Have it and uh, yeah, I do. I do. Um so if you order it and it'll arrive to you then once it releases August 7th, but take a screenshot, send it to any of the three of us, uh, my email is august at com and mention Slesson Scholars and I will send you some Girl Boner swag. I have I have lip lube, which is actually lip gloss, but I call it lip lube, and some <laughs> other cool things. I'll surprise you. Oh,
0: so exciting! Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, August. I think your I think your book is awesome, and I think it it helps reframe these conversations that we've been having with ourselves for a really long time. And I think the journaling exercises are a really good part of it. That it's not just about the reading; it's about doing the work on your own too. Because it it if you want to find that power that's in you, you gotta you gotta blast away some of the bad shit.
2: It's so true. Yeah. And thank you for the kind words and for having me on. I, I love what you both are doing.
1: Oh, thank you. You're wonderful. Remember to subscribe, leave us a review. And if you want to follow us and what we're doing, you can find us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slut Scholars. And as always, email us at Sluts and Scholars at Gmail and catch our new live show on Vivid Radio Thursdays from 2 to 3. Thanks, August, and goodbye. Sluts and Scholars. Bye.